only the best run here at the Indianapolis 500. Mario, who do you feel you'll have to beat in this year's race? People like uh, A.J. Foyt and uh, Bobby Unser, for instance. Stand by for the checkered flag. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in front of Mario Andretti. A.J. has done it. On the Bricks with Jay Query and Mike Thompson on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Good evening to you. Another night in May. Another night to talk about the greatest spectacle in racing, the greatest race in the world, and the largest sports venue on planet Earth, the Indianapolis 500 and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. My name is Jay Query. Mike Thompson joins as well. On Beyond the Bricks, Eddie Garrison working right now on the big board for us. Sam Rumsa behind the scenes as well as we get set for the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. And, Mike, one of the guys, when it comes to the lore and legacy of the Indianapolis 500-mile race, quite frankly, that I never really got to know outside of a race car, and by that I mean he is one that is well-known in terms of his accomplishments at Indianapolis – he is well-known in terms of his contribution as a broadcaster to the Indianapolis 500, but one that, for whatever reason, I had never crossed paths with until recently, and then came to find out, I thought, really one of the friendlier guys that I have met. We're talking about a native of Louisville, Kentucky, who just celebrated, as a matter of fact, uh, a couple of months ago, just recently had his 72nd birthday, none other than a guy that I just thought looked really, really smooth when he was a driver. We're talking, Mike, about Danny Sullivan. Yeah, and the fact that, first of all, that Danny Sullivan is 72 years old. Think about that Unbelievable, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think of Danny Sullivan as a pretty young you know, guy, the young American hero that we'll hear later on in the show. But, um, yeah, a great guy, fabulous guy, uh, uh, couldn't, be, couldn't be any nicer, friendly guy. And what an incredible, interesting career he had. And, you know, obviously one of the most important moments in this, the history of the Speedway, which I know we're going to be talking about, but just really interesting career. I mean, the fact that, he, you know, he came, ran some IndyCar, left, went to Formula One, came back, had such a successful career in IndyCar with, with dominant teams and just just really such an interesting career overall for Danny Sullivan. You talked about the fact that his his career was rather circuitous. And by that, I mean, he held a number of different jobs. He, you know, grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, which, again, I think for a lot of people, would they would think back in those days, uh, you know, his his father was a building contractor, so he grows up seeing that. I'm sure horse racing was a big part of his upbringing being from Louisville. Many people probably would would assume that stock car racing, for example, might have been something that – he got involved in, but uh, in reality, bounced around to a lot of different places. And I think the reality is, Mike, that when he first broke through into driving open wheel cars, I think the combination of his obviously, you know, very nice looking guy, but just the fact that he kind of was seen to a lot of people, even though he was this really good Hollywood looking guy as an everyman because people knew that he had done a lot of different things before he ever actually strapped into a race car yeah a number of different jobs which we're going to hear about in a little bit here but he he came up the hard way but was really quick out of the box that's what's interesting about him he's he's not one of those guys that 
you know, kind of tooled around in the back. Uh, you know, he had kind of instant success. I mean, his first championship race driving for Forsyth, I mean, he finished third at Atlanta. And people were like, wait a minute, who's this Danny Sullivan guy? You know, and so he got noticed, you know, right away pretty quickly uh, and then ended up in Formula One again for a year and then came back, um, you know, later on. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But, but you know, was always a popular guy, uh, fan favorite, always had time to, with fans. I mean, I never saw Danny Sullivan turn down an autograph ever. I mean, he was always good with fans. Uh, just really one of those, like you said, kind of those everyman uh, qualities and, and just really one of the nicest people you'd ever want to meet. In 1982, Danny Sullivan showed up at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. As a matter of fact, in his rookie debut, he started the race 13th. He finished one spot lower than that in the 14th position. But over the course of the month of May, Talk of Gasoline Alley was a program, a radio program that aired here within WIBC. And Kevin Calabro was the host of it. Of course, Donald Davidson also would be on that program doing historical questions. But Kevin Calabro, as we have learned in doing this show of Beyond the Bricks, playing different audio from it, Kevin Calabro would sit down with drivers a lot of times over the course of the month and talk to them. That includes in 1982 when he talked to the young rookie about the route that got him to Indianapolis, Danny Sullivan. Danny, you grew up in Louisville, or is it Louisville? It's uh, Louisville. <laughs> for, for everybody from there, outside. No, just teasing you. But uh, did you start your racing there, or when, when did you start? I know you went to the University of Kentucky. Did you start there? Or? No, I was actually uh, bumming around in New York working as a waiter, uh, and uh, a friend of the family came and was trying to get me on track and find out what I was going to do with my life other than yeah. be a waiter. And he was connected in racing, so I said, well, I'd like to try my hand at that just as a whim it was a mm -hmm. change of pace and uh, I finally talked him into helping me and uh, sent me to a driving school in Europe at the time was the best one and he was associated with Jackie Stewart and Jackie suggested this went over there and fell in love with it and they said you've got talent you ought to stick around so uh, I stayed the big time yeah All it right. was and you started off in formula over there formula Ford mm -hmm. and then did formula three and formula two these are all small bore formulas mm -hmm. they look like an indie car but all small scale uh -huh. and uh, stayed there and then had an offer to come back here to the states to race uh, formula Atlantic and mini Indy or the super V championship and that fell through. The Atlantic went off, and so I raced here and then did some long-distance racing and then got involved with Garvin Brown in the Can-Am and did Atlantic and NASCAR and yeah. now with Paul Newman and Budweiser here and Garvin Brown and the Forsyth uh, brothers from Chicago were here at Indy. Outstanding, just on a whim is the way it all began. Huh? That's right. Wow, from a New York waiter to an <laughs> IndyCar racer. Again, that was 1982. Running for Forsyth Racing was Danny Sullivan. And then in 1984, Mike, things really seemed to kind of open up for him. friend of mine, uh, Doug Shearson, the late Doug Shearson, was actually a friend of mine from Adrian, Michigan, one of the nicest people you'd ever want to meet as well. And they just clicked as a combination. And a lot of people, when you think of Danny Sullivan, obviously you think of his his runs with, with Penske Racing, and of course, and the, and the Miller American and things like that. But... I honestly right away think of his his ride with with Doug Shearson, who was a good friend of mine. So when I had the opportunity to talk to Danny a couple of years ago, I said, I, I need to ask you right away about my my old friend, Doug Shearson, and your time there with driving for Doug. 
Well, Doug was a, a fabulous person, first of all, and he was a great team owner and was really, um, when I left at the end of that year, you know, having come in and won three races and nobody really, you know, gave us much of a chance. And if you remember, we started off with a the DSR-1, which was not a very good car, um, and we switched part of the way through with for the Lola and, and ended up with the wins. You know, a great group of people. Um, you know, he put together such a super team. Um, you know, Domino's Pizza, everybody was just, you know, fabulous to work. It was a very, very difficult decision to leave. You know, when you, you know, when you're in a winning format with winning people and a great team owner, it's pretty tough to walk. But, um, you know, there was all, there's always issues. And, you know, there was Roger Penske standing on the other side saying, hey, you know, and I'm looking over there going, if you know, where's my future and Indy and so forth. So, you know, between the two guys, it was a very tough, tough decision. Um, but uh, missed my time there. It was a super time. And, and of course, they replaced uh, me with uh, Little Al and Barry. You know, they had, they had a great run after that. It was a great team. That's Danny Sullivan talking about 1984 running for Shearson Racing. You heard him mention there. Roger Penske came calling, and when that happens, you think about your future. The future became the now for him in 1985 in an iconic season and one of the most iconic moments in the history of the Indianapolis 500. We'll take a spin down memory lane when it comes to Danny Sullivan, and we'll do it next. It's May in Indianapolis. It's Beyond the Bricks, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Always a privilege to talk about the names, the personalities, the traditions, the numbers, and of course, the stories beyond the bricks at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Jake Query here along with Mike Thompson, Eddie Garrison, Sam Rumsa working behind the scenes helping us out. There's really no behind the scenes when it comes to this program we are all four, just like the four corners of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, identically the same when it comes to the contribution of this particular broadcast. We're talking about Danny Sullivan. And you know what's interesting to me, Mike, about Danny Sullivan, as we talk about now entering into his third venture, which was the big one for him at IMS. But, you know, this is a guy that, if you really look at the numbers and look, he's a wonderful talent, no question about it. He was, you know, obviously a season champion, but in terms of the ranks of Indy 500 winners, his years beyond the year that we're about to talk about aren't necessarily those that would jump out at you statistically. Um, yeah, the, I always, I always hear that, which is true, but also I think people sometimes overlook a, a year that, he may we may hear from him talk about a little bit later on which is 1988 he was dominating 1988 and he probably should have won 1988 he had the best car by far that day and unfortunately that ended up in a crash in uh, turn one and and rick mears his, his teammate ended up going on to win but i think had that not happened danny sullivan probably in that beautiful gold miller car wins that race and then then we're talking about danny sullivan as maybe a two-time winner but but yeah i think you're right um you know looking strictly at the finishes 
he really doesn't have a number of other finishes other than the victory. I mean, he has one other top five. And so um, it, it doesn't have the same statistical record that I think a lot of other Indianapolis 500 winners have. Of course, when it comes to talking about Danny Sullivan of Louisville, Kentucky, and the Indianapolis 500, there is undoubtedly a moment. Every driver has a moment where they hope, of course, that it's the one that cements them in a positive way into the history books, the annals at IMS. I don't know that any driver has a more obvious answer when you ask what was their moment in terms of glory at IMS than does Danny Sullivan. It happened in the 1985 Indianapolis 500-mile race. He was battling up front with Mario Andretti. You all know what happened. Here's how it sounded on ABC. Did he make the move? Sullivan down low. Side by side. Sullivan has the lead. Danny Sullivan. Oh, no! Kentucky. And just at that moment, losing control of the car, doing a magnificent job of not hitting the wall and continuing in the race. It's unbelievable. The incredible move maybe ever in Indianapolis. And Mario didn't hit him, Jim. That's even more incredible. And It was so amazing to me. I was sitting, actually, in the Southeast Vista with my dad, which means that Mike Thompson, Danny Sullivan, as he went through the short shoot with Mario Andretti and had, of course, that everyone knows about it, 360 spin, and then the rear kind of stepped out, and I just remember thinking, wait a minute, the smoke cleared, and I'm still looking at the front of his race car, and he just kept going. And I think probably Danny Sullivan was as stunned as anybody about it, right? Absolutely. But I can't imagine what it was like for all of you to see. I, I wasn't there live to see that race. And so I can't imagine what it'd be like to see that live, to see that, you know, just that incredible moment. Because, you know, we see these moments and, you know, Jim McKay, what a, that was a great call, Jim McKay and Sam Posey. You know, I, I think they worked really well together on that call. But to see that live, that as electrifying as it is on that call, to see that live, I just think that would have just been one of the just most incredible things to see. Just to see exactly what you just described. This car do with the 360 and then it's pointing in the right direction, having not hit anything, no damage. Mario doesn't hit him, as Sam Posey astutely pointed out. Uh, you know, I just I can't imagine what that would have been like to be in your position to see that live. Danny Sullivan was unaware of how many laps were left in the race when it happened, actually. And the answer to your question, Mike, is for all of us in the Southeast Vista, the feeling was just an overwhelmingly incredulous nature of disbelief of what we just saw. That's my memory of the spin. You got a chance on this radio station to interview Danny Sullivan. Let's find out how Danny Sullivan remembers it from your conversation but i've always wanted to ask you is there a time to think about anything at all when you're spinning at 200 miles an hour doing a 360 do you have time to think about anything uh or is it just you know hope i'm pointing in the right direction when it's over no i mean yes and no um you know it's obviously happening very fairly quickly but i was more angry at myself that 
oh, you just got in the lead of the Indy 500, and now you're going to go hit the wall, and you know, and and you know, so I've got the, my foot on the brake, and I'm just anticipating going there, and and of course, then it, you know, smoke cleared, and I go, there's a turn two sweets, you know, because you're not. I wasn't 100%. You know, you know you're spinning, but it's not like I'm following every sec, you know, millisecond of the spin and know exactly where I am in that stage of the spin. But when I did that, I thought, take your foot off the brakes and, you know, maybe you can save this. And, uh, you know, that's all going through your mind like, you know, in that sort of speed. It's Just how I described it is about the pace that it seemed like it was happening in, in my head and on the track. And, uh, of course, then it was like, you know, back in the day, what everybody forgets, it was only a, a five-speed gearbox. So it was three sp- speed-up gears, if you like, to get out of the pits. And then two top gears that we ran were about 200, 250 RPMs different. So if you were racing a guy, you'd have a low in the lower gear uh, just for more RPM and more pull to get off the corner or the top gear to maybe save a little bit of fuel. And uh, so, But the engine's dead. So it was kind of like, okay, what, what, how do, what gear do I jumpstart this thing in and get it, get it going again? Because too low a gear would snap it, and too high a gear would just grab the wheels and stop it. You know, not stop it on the track, but just stop it and turn it sideways. And if you actually watch the tape, uh, right in going into three, you can actually see me the car, you know, get a big wiggle on as well. And I thought I was going to lose it again. I thought I was going to lose control of cars. These, these cars, especially when they had the staggered um, wheel, you know, tire size and so forth, they didn't like to get too too sideways, and uh, it so it almost lost it again. And to this day, I don't remember what gear I put it in. <laughs> I still don't remember. Um, but anyway, it kind of got it going, and I was radio Derek, hey, it's me. The yellow's for me. The yellow's for me. All's okay, but I need four new tires. So. You know, that was it. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, so I had all those thoughts going, but I was more angry at myself for getting into the lead of the 500 right there and then spinning. You know, I would have ended up leading the 500 for, you know, 300 yards. (laughs) <laughs> if you like, so, which wouldn't, wouldn't have been very impressive, certainly not to Roger. Danny Sullivan talking about that spin in 1985. Question is, Mike, you know, there were two drivers involved, right? So you know that Danny Sullivan's thinking, like, what just happened when it's taking place and he's just trying to get through the gearbox. Then you kind of wonder what the other side of it looked like. Yeah, really what the other side looked like is, is Mario thinking, you know, Mario had all these different things happen to him over the different years. And obviously one of his most, his biggest disappointments was still to come in, in 1987. That hadn't even happened yet. But, you know, you have to think for Mario, you know, he had just a couple years earlier hadn't even got to run the race because of the uh, the accident in 1982. And, and now here he is, he's he ends up leading the most laps in 1985 and a car spins directly in front of him and and basically the guy gets away from it you know guy guy gets away with it rather and so you know i i was always interested in you know how did mario react to that particular situation with danny he didn't take that particularly well <laughs> he did you know mario won indy of course uh, the one time and and uh you know, there was a guy that that should have won it multiple times, you know, and and just never did. And he had a good car. 
he had a great car that day and and you know he was obviously quick and it looked like it was his race and then when I spun it should have been his race um and you know came back and passed him so he 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 was um, he wasn't really I don't think he was so much upset with me per se as just frustrated that he didn't win it when he had such a good chance um you know for a second for a second win uh so he was pretty quiet about that but i don't uh, we we're very friendly we see each other we have great talks he was a great help when i did the red bull driver search program and great supporter of that um because because his background with you know sports cars formula one ferrari everything um you know so he was a great ally at that time um but you know i don't rub it in either <laughs> you know i i wouldn't want i wouldn't want it being rubbed in on me so i'm not going to do it to him uh he's just too good of a friend and again after the spin took place both drivers had to come in they made a pit stop that temporarily gave the lead to emerson fittipaldi there was a lot that took place before lap 140 in which danny sullivan passed again Mario Andretti, this time for good, and that's how it remained for the final 60 laps. So we already heard the first half of the most famous phrase in terms of events at IMS, spin to win. So we heard the spin. Here's the win for Danny Sullivan. The old American hero will lose the race. The new American hero is Daniel John Sullivan III of Louisville, Kentucky, who has won the Indianapolis 500. Mario Andretti finishing second. Roger Penske, the crew chief, now is the time to celebrate. They didn't budge a muscle until he had crossed the start-finish line, that yard of brick, for the last time. Jim McKay on the call for ABC. Mike, reality is this. Danny Sullivan became the American hero, as you heard him mention there. But I'll tell you what, this is my own personal bias, admittedly. And I think that oftentimes we romanticize things in our mind We, from our childhood. Things in childhood sometimes become far greater or far cooler than they do or than they were, perhaps. That is the case with a lot of things. I don't think it's hyperbole to say this or to show a bias of my childhood. That Miller American car that he wanted in was one of the smoothest, sweetest-looking race cars ever to turn a lap at IMS. Oh, no question about it. It was a beautiful car. And what I love about the finish there that we just heard with Jim McKay, that I think that is one of the most underrated calls in the history of the Indianapolis 500. Just the way McKay came up with that, the new American hero is Daniel John Sullivan III. You know, I mean, just it just rolled off his tongue so perfectly. And then they used a little bit of that in Miller's print ads. You know, a new American hero has been born in Indianapolis, and they put the car with a picture of, you know, this dashing Danny Sullivan. And it just it just was a perfect synergy. But I, I just don't think McKay has ever gotten enough credit for that. You know, the old American hero has been beaten today, and the new American hero is Daniel John Sullivan III of in Louisville, Kentucky. I mean, it just it was just such a great call. And I, I don't think that gets enough mention of because it was overshadowed by obviously the spin, but it was such a great call. But you're right, that that Miller American Penske was just such a Penske car was just such a beautiful, beautiful car. An awesome-looking race car, no question about it. Danny Sullivan ran many times at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, not just in the Indy 500, but one of few drivers to do the double, so to speak. We'll get into that, and we'll talk a little more 
about the man that you heard Jim McKay say became the American hero, Daniel John Sullivan III. He's the subject on this Beyond the Bricks on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. They come onto the main stretch. It's Mario Andretti being chased by Danny Sullivan. Sullivan darts out, pulls alongside Mario Andretti. It's a drag race down the main stretch. Can Sullivan pull Andretti into the first turn, Ron Carroll? I got him, and it is Danny Sullivan gets him. Danny Sullivan gets him. No, he's squirrely. No, he's spinning. Danny Sullivan spins, but he goes around twice and gathers it in. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in front of Mario Andretti, gathered the car back up and continues on. Sullivan only fell back to second place. I've got to admit that every time I watch it, uh, I get goosebumps. <laughs> I know the result, <laughs> and and I just, but it just kind of gives me, boy, were you one lucky dude. You know? Danny Sullivan recalling the spin to win. Thriller, thriller at Indy, it said, on the cover of Sports Illustrated. The following Thursday... And that thing sat on my desk for many, many years when I was a kid, always looking at that picture of the Miller American. Jake Query here along with Mike Thompson. It is Beyond the Bricks. We're talking about Danny Sullivan, the 1985 winner. And, Mike, reality is, you know, and I had mentioned it earlier, when you look at the average finish for Danny Sullivan over the course of his career, 1985 is the year that everyone talks about for the obvious reason, because not only did you have that moment, but it also came against, you know, Mario Andretti. It wasn't like it was Howdy Holmes. It wasn't like it was Jose Legarza. I mean, it was Mario Andretti. But 12 starts for Danny Sullivan, and that was the one that jumps out. He had a ninth in 86, a 10th in 91, a 5th in 92, and a ninth in 95. But as you mentioned earlier, 85 is the race we talk about, but it's not the only one where he was running up front. No, I, I think, again, 1988, uh, Danny and I talked about this a couple times, is really kind of the one, you know, it's interesting when you talk to people because, you, you know, they have a guy like Danny Sullivan, he has a he has a baby Borg, right? So he has a, a victory in 1985, but they're always interested in talking about that one that got away. And for Danny Sullivan, for sure, it's 1988 because the 1988 Indianapolis 500 was was interesting because obviously the the front row was swept by the Penske cars. It was the first time that had ever been had happened. Uh, Penske Racing swept the front row. Danny Sullivan started in the middle of the front row, and you know Danny Sullivan was as good that day as dominant that day i think sometimes that gets lost on people because of, he was as dominant as michael was in in 1992 and 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 mario was in 1987 danny sullivan in the first 100 laps of the race led the 91 of the first uh, 100 laps he was he was the dominant car and then later on uh, just i mean literally just past the halfway point uh, you know, something broke on the car. I, I think it was a, it was like a front wing or something broke on the car and sent him up in the wall and, and he crashed and, and he was out of the race. But that was a race that I think Danny really thought that was his day. And when I talked to him about it, he, he still a, a little bit laments the fact that 1988 wasn't his day for a second victory. He led 
91 laps in that race in 1988. You had mentioned that the Penske's swept the front row. The pole set of Rick Mears was the winner. Al Unser was the other Penske car to start in row number one. But it was a dominant day for Danny Sullivan. That That's the thing about Indy. Sometimes lady luck has to go your way as well. Danny Sullivan ended up finishing in that race in the 23rd position because of the accident after he was scored with 101 laps. The dominant car of 1988, Mike, you talked about the fact that Danny Sullivan talked about it with you. You know, it's funny. You think about, um, you know, it's great to talk about the the win in 85 and so forth, but if you really go back to it, I think a lot about the ones that got away, particularly 88, because I never have had such a good car um, you know, anything. Uh, it just was so dominant. I was confident. Um, I was comfortable, very, very comfortable with the team, with the car. Um, super, you know, super piece of equipment. And I could go anywhere, pass anywhere, high, low, didn't make any difference. Had a huge lead. And, you know, but as I said, remember at the top when we started talking about it, you know, you never really think about or I try not to about winning the race because there's just so many more things that can go wrong than, than they can go right. And, you know, just Lady Luck said, hey, you used it all up in 85, and we're not going to let you have it again in 88. And, uh, you know, uh, for that that little mechanical failure, um, you know, I would have won Indy, I think, easily. Uh, because, you know, but you don't know. There there was still so much of the race, you know, more than half of the race left to go. You know, I could have made a mistake. So many things could go wrong. So many things can go wrong. And, um, you know, so it just wasn't meant to be. But it was a fantastic car. And, uh, of course, you know, went on to win a championship with it. But it, uh, you know, it was a fantastic car. Mike, you obviously have had the occasion to talk to Danny Sullivan at length about those situations. Wanted to take this portion of Beyond the Bricks. And by the way, folks, thanks for listening to this. It is Beyond the Bricks here on 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. Jake Quarry along with Mike Thompson. Mike, uh, just a moment for you to kind of talk about, as I will share as well, uh, the kind of guy that we touched on it earlier that Danny Sullivan is, because you can tell in his voice there, I think, pretty down-to-earth guy. Oh, absolutely. And when I reached out to him to uh, to do that interview, uh, you know, sometimes you wonder, you know, somebody going to be willing to do these type of interviews. And, you know, you know, it's a lot of time you're asking. You're asking for 35, 40 minutes. I mean, you know, I I, I was lucky enough. I, I asked Bobby Unser and Al Unser and some of these guys for different shows I've done at WIBC. And you reach out to them and, you know, that's a big time commitment. So you're wondering, are, you know, are you going to get a response, first of all? And second of all, what is the response going to be? Yeah, you can have 15 to 20 minutes or whatever. Danny Sullivan gave me, I think, an hour and a half that day. And, and we were able to touch on every topic I wanted to touch on. And and one of the things I really wanted to touch on was that that dominant car in 1988. I mean, people people were, you know, may not remember. I mean, he won the championship, as he mentioned, that year. But the last six races that season, Danny Sullivan won the pole for every single race that year. The, the the last six events that season that's how good that car was down the stretch the, the year he won the championship the last six races of the season danny sullivan won every single pole <laughs> so uh it just sh- goes to show how good really that car was in 1988 and you know but but to your point uh you know danny was just one of these guys that 
when I reached out to him, he was like, yeah, let's, let's do it. And, and gave me really good introspective answers about, uh, you know, his career, about the guys he drove against, uh, and, you know, and took the time to really, uh, you know, give me what I needed for the show. And, and, and I really appreciate those kind of guys because, uh, you know, it's really, it makes it a lot easier when you're, when you're putting together one of these radio documentaries, when you have a guy who's as willing as Danny Sullivan to talk about not only his career, but the, uh, the other drivers he faced and, and, and talk about days like 1988, where he was the dominant car and just didn't come home with the Borg that day. You know, Mike, we have the unique privilege and pleasure to have access to a lot of driving heroes, racing heroes. And, you know, I know for you that holds true as well. I know that you don't take it lightly, nor do I, or take it for granted. But I also understand that as a result of that, oftentimes people who these are their heroes, you know, may not want to hear necessarily the personal anecdotes from me. And I, and I appreciate and respect that. It is disingenuous for me to say that I have a relationship with Danny Sullivan or Emerson Fittipaldi or Rick, you know any of those um, other than professional. But I wanted to share, and I hope that people will will give me um, the patience here in doing it, a story about Danny Sullivan because I think it illuminates Danny Sullivan, the guy. I don't know Danny Sullivan well. I have met him in person once, maybe twice both in a professional standpoint. So it would be totally disingenuous of me to imply otherwise. And when you work in the line of work that Mike and I do, autographs themselves are like a taboo subject. If you have a credential for a sporting event, it is with the understood and oftentimes actually the declared that you don't seek autographs and that kind of a thing. Also totally understandable. But as somebody who works for the radio network for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, that means that oftentimes I'm around drivers outside of a professional setting, outside of covering a race and and being on pit road. And I have not been necessarily an autographed person, but as Mike knows, I several years ago decided that I was going to buy with my own money a, a racing helmet, an authentic racing helmet, to see if I could get it signed by every living winner of the Indianapolis 500. Obviously, every living winner. It's not like Ray Haroon's going to sign it for me. Um, And, you know, through different events, my paths crossed with enough to be able to try to begin doing that. Danny Sullivan was one driver that I'd never met. I'd not seen him at the Speedway, although he does come. He was usually, I guess, zigging while I was zagging. And I asked somebody if they had means to him, and they said, yeah, here's his cell phone number, but you did not get the number from me. And I thought, oh, goodness. And, Mike, you can imagine, when somebody says to you, you didn't get this number from me, what's the first thing you think, right? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, do I want to make this call or not? Right. So I call. I've never met the man, and he answers the phone. And I said, hi, Danny. Is this Danny Sullivan? Yes, it is. And I said, Danny, my name is Jake Quarry, and I work in radio in Indianapolis and with the IMS radio. And before I could finish anything, he says, yeah, 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 man, listen, I'm on the other line. Call me back in 10 minutes. And I thought, oh, goodness, Uh, indeed, now I know why I was not. So I call back in 10 minutes, and he answers. And I said, hi, Danny, this is Jake Quarry again. And I'm suddenly a fifth grader calling Ann Sprague to ask her to go to, you know, to moonlight with me at the skating party again. (laughs) And he says, oh, man, 
thank goodness you called back, man. I was on the other line with this guy talking about something, and he just went on and on, and I just needed a reprieve. So anyway, hey, how are you? What's going on? So I explained, and I couldn't believe it. So I, we talked for an hour. I explained the helmet project, and he says, listen, I'm gone a lot. I'm not going to be in India anytime soon, but if you want to send it out UPS or FedEx or whatever with a return label right on it, I'll literally open it up and sign it right there and put the return label right back on the box and hand it back to the guy and send it back to you. I said, great. So we arranged to do that during a period of time, a rare one, where he was home for like a week. And I began tracking the shipment, and lo and behold, it got stuck at, and at this point I already had probably 15 signatures on it, and it got stuck in one of the shipment stores near his home because his he lives in California, or did at the time, and his address was a difficult one for them to find. So I called the store, and they said, yeah, we got the box sitting right here, but you know we couldn't find the proper driveway or whatever. And I thought, okay, I've lost the thing. It's never coming back. So I called Danny Sullivan to explain this to him and apologize for inconveniencing him. And he said, oh, that's a bummer. And about five minutes later, Mike, my phone rings, and I look down, and it's Danny Sullivan's number calling me, which now I've got to screen grab that for, you know, whatever. And I answer, and he said, you know, man, I got to thinking about this. I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, dreaming about racing cars someday. And I did a number of different jobs before I did that. And I said, okay. And he said, I've got a beautiful convertible. It's 75 degrees outside. I put my life on the line all the time racing cars in order to put myself in position to have a beautiful home on the West Coast. Why would I not get in my beautiful convertible right now and just enjoy the weather and drive the 45 minutes out of my way to go with a cup of coffee and sign your helmet and send it back to you? My entire life was built towards being able to enjoy days like today. And I said, okay. And four days later, I got a box in the mail and opened it. And not only was Danny Sullivan's signature right there on the helmet, there was a small note that said, Dear Jake, I want to let you know what a privilege it was to be able to look at the names of the great drivers on this helmet and realize that I was privileged to put my name with them. Thanks so much, Danny. And I thought to myself, I'm glad I got his phone number. And that is one dude that is as cool as he always looked in a race suit. I thought, I thought that guy, that guy Mike, Mike, is just a dude. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, one of the one of the best guys you're going to find. And, and no question and and we're lucky to be able to uh, you know, talk to these guys and and meet these guys and and I'll be honest with you, I don't know I I, I love stories like that and I love when we can we can share our experiences, I think. Uh you know, with, with people at home who may not have had the opportunity, um, because I, I would have wanted that. Um, I I know that I, I, I think I've told you this before when I was a kid, I wanted to meet a Indianapolis 500 driver. If, if I would have gotten a chance to meet somebody, I would have been thrilled, you know? And, and then the fact that I've gotten to know so many drivers and and meet them, it's just, it just really, really thrills me. So, the fact that, uh, you know, we can share these stories, I'm hoping that somebody who hears this, you know, that's what their dream is. And then they're going to go on and do that as well, you know, because that's, that was me. Um, you know, I, I was a kid in the basement in 1985 at my uncle Ron's house, listening to Danny Sullivan win the Indianapolis 500. Then I got to meet him and talk to him on the radio for WIBC. So, you know, those dreams do happen. And I think it's important to share stories like that about what you, what you just said. Uh, talking about what a great guy Danny is, 
and the fact that he went the extra mile for you and 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 what a just what a fabulous person he is. Danny Sullivan had a remarkable career and one that one can only assume was satisfying. Here is the Louisville, Kentucky native's reflections on his career. To go away with, you know, the number of wins that I did, but to win Pocono twice and Michigan and, and the Indianapolis 500 and the road races and all that and the street races and, you know, a championship, uh, you know, listen, <laughs> I can't complain about any of it. I had a I had a fabulous uh I had a fabulous IndyCar career and you know raced against the best and uh got you know met some great fabulous people and you know uh, you know at that time if you really think back about the kart championship at that time it was the best championship in the world bar none. You know, you had super speedways, you know, Indy, you had short ovals, Milwaukee, Nazareth, you had street circuits like Long Beach, you had road courses like Mid-Ohio, Laguna Seca. You know, you had to be adapted everything that you did. You know, the cars had to be versatile. Um, the teams had to be that way. Uh, you, you couldn't be a specialist in any one uh, discipline. And and look at the people that drove the race cars, from Mario to Bobby to Rick Mears, uh, who's a fantastic road racer, Emerson Fittipaldi, Ari Leyendijk, the, the Unsers, the, you know, the Andrettis. I mean, the list just went on and on. You know, you'd show up one weekend, and you'd be up on the front row, and then, and the next week you could be 15th or 16th in qualifying. You know, and and again, one week you'd be on the pole and the 15th or 16th is covered by, you know, eight tenths of a second. And the same next week you could be eight tenths off and be back in the pack. And, you know, that's a, you know, that's a fantastic competitive championship. And, uh, um, you know, it was just, it was great to go to work. It was just a fantastic feeling. And when you beat those guys, you know, you beat the best. I mean, if you look at the cover of the Indianapolis 500, people say, well, who's that? I said, well, that's Mario Andretti behind and Emerson Fittipaldi right behind that. You know, you think about the world championships and the wins and IndyCar championships and the Indy wins just on that one page of that of that deal. And, you know, you got a two, I had two teammates at Penske that had won Indy eight times. <laughs> Think about that. Your two teammates have won it eight times. Danny Sullivan finished ninth in his last Indianapolis 500 in 1995. That was one year after he finished 33rd in the Brickyard 400. Like I said, basically doing the double when it came to running big races at the Indianapolis 500 or at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, running the 500 and the Brickyard 400. Really good guy, Mike, and it's been a lot of fun taking a look back at the career of Danny Sullivan and all of the audio you pulled as well here on this episode of Beyond the Bricks. Appreciate it as always. So much fun, Mike. I think we do it again tomorrow night, right? Sounds good to me. All right, we'll be back again, same time, same place. You've been listening on 93.5, 107.5, the fan to Beyond the Bricks. Thanks.